how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Is that a problem in the music industry that there can be tons of people who've heard your music but don't know who you are? How do you, within 20 seconds, make the most interesting sounding song? You guys feel like internet kids to me. I was so convinced that no matter how many people were there, they were all there to make fun of us. What is the business of music? Every other country pays the artist and pays the writer. What's the logic behind that? That's not really art, that's content. That's the end of the road for you, right? There's nowhere else to go. Today on The Colin and Smear Show, we're joined by Adam, Jack, and Ryan of the band AJR. Now, if you're unfamiliar with AJR, you've actually probably heard their music. Their song, The World's Smallest Violin, has seen over 10 billion views on TikTok, and the music video has 170 million views on YouTube. In this episode, we talk about the TikTokification of the music industry. We talk about how to build a community online that'll show up for you physically. And we talk about how AI will impact the future of creation for all of us. These guys are awesome. We had such a great conversation with them. They also just put out an album called The Maybe Man, which has totally been on repeat in my car. I absolutely love it. I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation with AJR. AJR, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. Are you guys sitting AJR? You are. Do you guys typically sit AJR? Um, Everywhere but on stage, surprisingly, right? It's RJA on stage. Oh. I just don't know. Strange. I'm actually just realizing that now. No, I'm serious. Like, why don't we do we, that? We yeah. try and make an effort to sit Colin and Samir. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just left yeah. to right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. otherwise you guys might get confused. I yeah. noticed. <laughs> tip from us. It would have been yeah. a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so I wanted to start by telling you guys how I came across you. And this is like years and years ago. We were working in the sports space on YouTube and I was working with a group called Legendary Shots. All right. And they in the middle of a production, had to leave to go shoot a music video with a band called AJR. That's and they were like, you gotta hear this song. And they played me the song in the car in between like locations wow. for, a, for a shoot. And were I was you like, in Birmingham, Alabama? Or? No, it was in LA. They in flew LA. out to LA oh, for a shoot. It. Yeah, cool. it was like a branded shoot we were doing and I was producing it. Um, that's how I first came across you guys. Wow. And I remember thinking how interesting it was that there was a band who was thinking like that at the time of like, hey, let's have a YouTube group direct our music video. Let's do it as a trick shot video. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, I'm just imagining us back then. And I think we were like, we we kind of do this all ourselves, right? There's, we don't have a, a label back then or anything or anyone telling us what to do. Anything goes, truly anything goes. Like th that looks fun. Let's just, let's try it. Like there was no one giving us any kind of rules. Or yeah, I think that comes this. from having nothing to lose that we just, we didn't know anybody. We started off street performing. So that's the most embarrassing bottom of the totem pole you could get. And then it's like, let's just try absolutely anything. It's not like we have that many fans that we can let down at this point. And then we just kept that mentality. And I think we still kind of have it of let's just, 
who do we know? Let's just try this. Let's put these two weird things together and see what happens. At the same time, they seem like such nice guys. Like they were, I think they were fans of us. Or they were fans of us. And it was a time in the industry where we didn't like have any friends at all in any industry really. Yeah. And we found out that they were really big Disney fans and were really big Disney fans. <laughs> okay. So we like hit it off right away. <laughs> right away. And so we kept doing more videos with them. So yeah, Carson and the guys are really great. That's so interesting. I, I feel like in just being fans of you guys for the past couple of years, you guys feel like internet kids to me. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like everyone who's doing something in the creative space today grew up as like an internet kid. Like you were plugged into the internet. Hmm. You were like, even when I watch you do um, like live streams showing us your logic breakdowns, yeah. of like how you're making songs. Yeah. That to me, that transparency is rooted in what the internet brought, which was anyone can upload anything and hopefully there's other people interested in it. 100%. I think um, those those making ofs really came from, we used to watch uh, the making of Lord of the Rings as a kid. We're like big Lord of the Rings heads. Okay. And I remember we've probably watched the making of Lord of the Rings more than we've actually watched Lord of the Rings. Sure. Because it creates such an investment. And I think that the DVD, like DVD extras of Lord of the Rings was a real predecessor of what was about to happen on YouTube of like- Interesting. Look how you can do this yourself. Like, oh, wow, Lord of the Rings, you can, not actually, but you can make it yourself with miniatures and little figures. I can do that. And that mentality just caught on. And now that's all the stuff that wins. It's like, even that's kind of where music head, where it's like, I can make this myself on Logic. That's the kind of music I want to listen to. I think we kind of saw that mirroring effect. And so we really wanted to dive into that. And that's where all the making ofs and the live streams and that further investment in the song came from. Yeah. It seems like from the very beginning and from like I'm Ready, which was like the first song obviously to really take off in the music video, like internet culture and specifically video is such an important part of your guy's story. Like in that mm. music video, there's like, yeah. there's the YouTube player in the video. There's even uh, like Instagram, like what Instagram looked like back then. <laughs> and I, I'm curious, like fast forwarding to today, the intersection of video and music is in such a different place specifically with with TikTok. Mm -hmm. And like for me, I've I heard your guys' songs, like five or six of them, 15, in 15 second increments. Again and again and again. So funny, yeah. But I don't I didn't know your name. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like through this show, a huge fan. I like can't wait to go to a concert. But I wonder like is that a problem in the music industry that there can be tons of people who've heard your music but don't know who you are. It's it's funny cuz it was a huge problem with kind of not only us, but we were back then, we were one of the only pop bands with hit songs that had this issue. And now a lot more artists have this issue yeah. because of TikTok. But back then it, it was for kind of a different reason. It's because so many of the songs that got popular kind of sounded really different from one another. Um, we we had I'm Ready, right? And that got big on the radio. And then we had our song Week. And now we had the song like World's Smallest Violin. And those three songs, kind of, if, if you're just listening passively, like in a restaurant or in the background, they you would think those are three different artists. Right. And that's what we loved doing so much back then. We got, we were like, we love all genres. Let's make all genres. But if we got a publicist or anyone, they would be like, this is your biggest problem. Literally no one knows who's singing these songs. And now you're right. It has absolutely grown. And that is a really big problem. And it's just it's just totally impeding artists' ability to grow, for sure, in, in today's music world, I think. It's just like, and also a big thing is like, I think if you're not focusing on something unique or something lyrical or something really that sets you apart, you're gonna have that problem as well, 
right? And that's the issue with like the take with TikTok stuff because a lot of time it's an instrumental that will go viral or a section of the song that isn't really lyrical. And then that's sorry, that's it. There you go. You know, like you you can't kind of show the real you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think um, I think also in the modern age. Uh, once you do something that's successful, it's kind of the mentality of do that a million times. Like right. my thing is, I do. Uh, I ask people uh, double. Uh, what's the thing that someone does? Do you want on the street? pineapple like, or double it? Double it and give it to the next It's just like yeah. now everybody expects you to do that for the rest <laughs> right, of your life. Right. That's a human being behind that thing. But now that is fully his brand forever, and nobody wants to hear anything else. Uh, we actively try to fight that because I think I love what Jack is saying that all of our songs sound totally different. I think we've accomplished our mission of trying to like stretch what a band can be and uh, creatively fulfill ourselves. Um, but it also gets a little bit difficult in this uh, TikTok era, um, especially because like you're saying like videos uh, paired with music, right? Um, we work really hard on our music videos and that's a little bit becoming a lost art um, because we want the visual to be art that pairs with the music. and. A TikTok, like lip syncing or whatever, that's not really art. That's content. Um, but it feels like we're headed a little bit more towards content from art. So we're like, we're in a constant battle of how do we bring artistic merit into the content that we're posting. So it feels TikToky, but it's still showing that we worked hard on this. I even like thing. to use the word content. I mean, we're, we're going to use yeah, it, yeah. but I think for a while, like maybe even six months ago when I said content for the first time, we were like, oh, did yeah. I just say content? Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. I think video creators are experiencing somewhat of a similar problem where all these platforms, like what they love is, is videos. They want more videos, but they don't necessarily cater to like the brand of the creator, right? You're, you're somewhat replaceable. Like videos are what are valued. Yeah. The soundbite, the 15 second soundbite is what is valued, mm. not necessarily the brand of AJR or the brand of Colin and Samir. And right. I think we, both of us probably are actively trying to combat that and build actual fandom, actual community and substance. I'm curious, like how do you, how do you build actual community and fandom when the distribution platforms are kind of going somewhat against you, somewhat for you? Totally. So there's one specific example of a song that we had where it worked incredibly well, but we could never really recreate it. So our song, World's Smallest Violin, it got really big first on YouTube Shorts. Now, a lot of YouTube Shorts, people just stay within Shorts. But for some reason with that song, everyone was going from YouTube Shorts to our music video. I think it's our largest music video that yeah. we have. It's like so 170 we, million views. Yeah. Is that right? Which is so far <laughs> beyond. You would probably know better than me at I this point. I was joking about not knowing. I know. It has 170 <laughs> million. I was trying to be cool. Like, exactly. You guys wouldn't know. You guys check <laughs> your stats. You're trying to trip me up and yeah. give you the wrong number yeah, or something? Yeah. yeah. I don't right? know. I don't yeah. check your guys' music videos all the time. <laughs> I think the ability to convert from short form to long form, that it's all in one platform within YouTube, has allowed people who are discovering us on YouTube to become bigger fans and part of that community. And it's why our subscriber base on YouTube is larger than a lot of the other places, like bigger than TikTok and bigger than Instagram, because there are all of these different paths in to figure out who we are as the artists. A lot of people listen to YouTube music and then they'll go and find the videos. They'll be on shorts and find the videos. It created this kind of ecosystem where people have the ability to move up this ladder and become bigger fans. A lot of the other yeah. platforms don't necessarily have that. So when you're living in a place like TikTok and you're, you hear world's smallest violin, that's the end of the road right. for you, right? There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. So 
it's going to be nearly impossible for us to recreate another world's smallest violin that was started by the fans. It wasn't started by us. We never intended that to be a single. But if we can figure out like how to make use of the different types of ecosystems, I think there's a lot of room for movement there. That's super interesting, uh, the difference between YouTube and, and TikTok. And I was thinking about that in the context of, yes, you can discover a short form soundbite. You can then go to the, the longer form YouTube video. And you guys actually on your YouTube channel have more offerings of storytelling you know, about who you are. Even your music video for um, the dumb song. Yeah. That is like true filmmaking and storytelling. Um, and you get to know your personalities through that. Hmm. And we believe like the next chapter because of this influx of video and, and content, uh, the next chapter is going to be defined by creators and, and artists who can develop depth with their audience. Yeah. Right? Like, I can agree more. Yeah. Who can create depth? And there's that step of storytelling and looking into the band there's one more step, which is um, going to a show, right? Like you have an offering that allows you to have a communal human experience, hmm. which I think is really, really impactful and a huge difference between us uh, when it comes to like YouTube creators and artists. There's also one other thing, which is the uh, repeat listening. If you like one of our episodes that's two hours long, you're not going to watch it twice. Maybe you'll watch it twice. You're right. not going to watch it three times. Right. But like, if you like one of your songs, there's kind of an infinite amount of times I can listen to my favorite song. Our average fan listens to our song 5.6 times, to each song 5.6 each song. times oh, wow. on wow. Spotify. Yeah. I think, yeah, a couple things. First, adding on with World's Smallest Violin, I don't I hate, I feel so icky saying this, but the thing that went viral in World's Smallest Violin was the end of the song. Right. Yeah. That weirdly helped us. And I don't want to recommend to any artist, make your viral part at the end, but like, weirdly, you have to listen to the entire song to get to the part it's everybody good, knows, and then you're like, trick. let me listen again. Listen to the whole thing. It's not a trick. It's a good trick, dude. It's it yeah. art. The strategy. It's art. No. Yeah. No, we didn't know. <laughs> um, so that really helped. I also think that just there's something like, okay, if this is the world we live in now with short form, it's like, how can you show that there's a lot of depth and story in 20 seconds instead of in three minutes? And I think it's about... Like if you're at a party and a guy is just talking forever about nonsense, you're going to tune him out. But if a guy just says a few words that's like, mm, sex, mm, like interesting things, you're, you're leaning that's in. That's what does like, it for you? What? what? Yeah. <laughs> See? That's what does it for yeah. you. That's what does yeah, it for yeah, you. Okay. Um, guys, come listen. Yeah. <laughs> He's sex. the coolest guy here. <laughs> it's like, oh, that guy must have more to say. So I think we just try to, that totally relates to the music industry separate from content, but it's like, how do you, within 20 seconds, make the most interesting sounding song that maybe even switches up three times within those 20 seconds or t has a great lyric or a weird banjo that you no don't normally hear next to a dubstep bass? It's like, how do you make people lean in and say there's more to that story that I need to figure out within those 20 seconds? There's something really interesting about your guys' sound uh, and how it intersects with this moment right now because it is, there is a lot of like anthemic nature to your sound mm -hmm. and and soundtrack nature to it. And that's kind of what the world has become where it's like, yeah, I'm, I don't want to just watch stuff on my phone. I want to create stuff on my phone. Right? Yeah. I want to be a part of this. And you give me a tool to allow me to be a part of it. Uh, like World's Smallest Violin, not only was a sound, but it was actually like a template for editing video. Yeah, right. Totally. right? Like the yeah. beats offered this opportunity to be like, okay, so what it is, is like this montage is going to pick up and I'm going to show some really fun stuff. So fun. Right? It's like such an odd thing that you guys provided yeah. without knowing well, a that, template yeah. for people to maybe make their first video. Uh, so funny. What an odd 
That speeding reality. up thing is just an old Broadway trope. Like, that's where we took it from. Right. It's just like the song where someone's explaining something to someone else and then goes through a list of all the things I recapped in the yeah, song. Yeah. Like, that's literally where we took it from. We didn't think about social media at all. Yeah, so much of the decisions we made were just so, just because we wanted to, and then TikTok caught up to us. We've never been like a band that's like, oh, that's the band on the forefront of blah, blah, blah. We're, oh, we've always been kind of trying to catch up and figure out whatever is the new thing. Social um, media-wise, not art-wise, you're saying. No, no, sorry, social yeah, yeah, media-wise. Yeah. Or, or like how to become famous as a musician, whether it's radio or Spotify right, or anything right. like that. Um, but for some reason, all of the weird things that we liked are for, for some reason good for TikTok. I think like, it's that theatrical nature, right? Like you yeah. do have, there is that feel to the music right. that it has a level of like, I understand how I'm supposed to perform. Right. I've seen a performance that has this rhythm, hmm. like you're saying, right? Like That's I, so funny, yeah. I kind of get the rhythm of this either from cinema or from uh, theaters. Yeah. Right? But I, I, I'm curious now, like, you know, the, the, we talk about like the problem with okay, yes, someone here is this 15 second clip. Maybe they don't know AJR. Is you know, is that a problem? But there's also got to be the inverse, right? Of like, this probably has introduced you guys to yes. millions and millions, like. I think there's what, I have it written down here, but there's 2 million videos with uh, World's Smallest Violin, and right? Like 10 and, and, billion and 10 billion views. combined views. Oh, like that's that's no joke. It's been it's been amazing, especially with a song like World's Smallest Violin. To ha become a pop hit was wild to us because that song off our last album, OK Orchestra, was if you had asked us back then, we would have said that is the song that is least likely to go viral, to be a hit, anything. It's literally in a very not cool song that's Broadway inspired and there's weird instruments in there. Who would think that in a hip hop fueled, like rock fueled environment, that would sort of cut through. And I think if you had asked us in, in your dream world, which would be the single, if it was gonna be huge, we probably would have picked that one just because like, it would be kind of cool to have yeah. a song that's so uncool and weird be among all of the hip hop and mm. kind of mainstream sounding songs. So that the fact that TikTok made that happen, made it, song that never would have gotten big get big is yeah. amazing to us. So on the note of like, you know, 10 billion combined views on on TikTok, I think as like this, this modernization of, of creativity on the internet, the one area that I really don't understand is like, what is the business of music today? Is it touring? Is it Spotify? Like hmm. what is... What is the business of, yeah, of, of music? Songs have like fully become a lost leader. Like when we yeah. first started, it was iTunes downloads and it was, well, should we got the number one song on iTunes? That means a big check this oh, week. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, that's gone. Like what an the money thing. is pretty marginal. Like the core of the work is like, is a loss. That's the, that's the commercial for yeah. your tour. And we're lucky, again, this is going to sound skeevy and capitalist, but we invested everything in our tour from the beginning because it's actually the thing we love most. We like that even more than writing songs. We like planning out shows and I don't know if you guys know but we do like crazy weird effects mm -hmm. and magic Very and illusions familiar. and stuff yeah. on stage um, that became like us back when we were in our bedroom being five and seven years old putting on little plays and magic tricks and stuff for mom and dad like now we get to do that on the biggest scale ever um, so we're kind of lucky that we invested everything and built our touring fan base because that to us isn't ephemeral that like the the world's smallest violin was amazing but it was that it was such a risk for us because we've been doing this now at the professional level for what, like 12 years now, yeah. but in total for about 18. We made no money touring for like the first eight years of us touring because every dollar we made from the tour went back into the tour. We were consistently in debt is what we were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot. Yeah. yeah. Every artist has to make like a decision of whether, okay, I'm going to take the money, whether it's an advance from a label or money that I get from a tour. 
am, am I going to invest it in the project, in the art itself, or am I going to take it in order to, you know, do something else? We, we decided, like, let's invest in AJR. And it ended up being great. And this is not a PSA for other artists to do the same thing because everyone has to make their own decision. But every moment we were like, okay, are we going to invest in ourselves or are we going to do like what the industry standard is? And we always said, we're going to invest in ourselves. Yeah. So, so Spotify streams, non-factor? Ba- you know better than me, but basically not. Yeah, right? Do you know the exact numbers? Basically not. If you take everything all together, it's touring, merchandise and licensing of songs. There's still money in licensing of songs. So like when you see songs in commercials and things like that, and there is money in songwriting um, in that piece of it. But like- Radio the, well, has yeah, more money than Spotify, right? Radio, but because that's the songwriting piece Oh, that's of what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, Ex- yeah. Explain that, because I don't think yeah. people know what that means. Yeah, so um, on the radio, there are three countries in the world that don't pay the artist for having a song on the radio. Only three countries. And I think I'm going to get this right, that it's North Korea, Iran, and the U.S. So I, I, you might who, have to double check. Who don't Who pay. do not yeah. pay wow. the artist That's for being on the radio. They crazy. pay the writers. Like everyone, pays the, everyone else pays the artist. But in the U.S., you do not get paid as the artist for being on the radio. Well, what's you, the logic behind that? It has to do with a whole bunch of laws when, the, when radio went from being a public benefit to end up being privately owned and it's still kind of a public benefit. Then there was the whole payola scandal. So there's a lot of legal reasons why. Um, but every other country pays the artist and pays the writer. So if you have a hit song on the radio in the U.S. and you're a writer of the song, you do get paid a lot of money, but not if you're the artist. So if you're thinking of like, I don't know, just name any artist that has 15 writers on their songs, all well, the writers just get a tiny little piece of it, but the artist doesn't get anything for being on the radio. How strange. Yeah. But you guys are the writers. Yeah. So that's beneficial, kind of? Or yes? Yeah. 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 It has been. We've yeah. only ever had one song that went top 10 at radio, and that was Bang. So all of the other songs that people hear that have a lot of streams on Spotify and Apple, those each got big in different ways. And this is kind of alluding to something Jack was talking about. Every single song, almost every single song we've had got big on a different platform. We never replicated the same thing twice. So I'm Ready did uh, well on Sirius Radio. That was the kind of first out of the gate. And iTunes. And iTunes, iTunes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Week did really well on Spotify. It's still our biggest song on Spotify. Um, the the good part in World's Smallest Violin were really big on TikTok. Uh, Sober Up with Rivers Cuomo on it got really big on alternative radio. But it just goes to show that like, we were trying to reach all of these different audiences, but the songs found their own audiences. Hmm. The uh, week was also part of like David Dobrik's vlogs as well, right? Yeah, he it's he used a lot of our music. I think including yeah. Week uh, in his like intros. Yeah. And when he was was it when he was first starting out? Or yeah, I don't. He definitely wasn't as big as he is now, but he definitely had a significant yeah. following. Um, and I didn't know who he was when he first started. Sure. I was like, oh, it's a YouTuber. And then I realized, and now he- Yeah, because yeah. he was pretty selective with music. And there was like yeah. playlists of David Dobrik vlog hmm. music, hmm. Uh, which was a really interesting era. And you think about it, like, you know, some of those videos were doing 10, 20 million views. Yeah. Again, when you bring up licensing, it's interesting that in the past, if someone was making a show that that many people were watching, they would pay to license the song. The end all be all has, was always Grey's Anatomy. 
If you had a song in Grey's Anatomy, then it was going to be a hit, especially if it was at the end of the episode when they were doing like a montage of everything that happened. That song was going to chart on iTunes if you got that sync. Interesting. I remember there were songs on like Entourage when I was growing mm-hmm. up, and those were the big ones. Or even like yeah. the OC. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Death Cab. Like. Oh, right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, so the, the pie chart, is it what you just broke down of like touring's number one? It depends on the artist. It really right. depends For on you the artist. For us, touring is number one. Once touring's you get to a one. certain size in touring, then you start to make significant yeah. more money. So it's touring, merchandise, licensing are the top three. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. That David Dobrik thing was funny. I think it was an interesting lesson because he was a fan of us. And then he said, can I put your song in the vlog? We were like, yeah. That would have done okay, but we were then in his video in like, it was someone's birthday party. He invited us to a party. Yeah, he invited us. remember that. Okay, yeah, Yeah. he invited us over. Um, And we had just met him. Yeah. But I think there was an understanding from the video that we were all friends and we're at his birthday party performing. He does a good job of that. He does a really good job. And then I think all of his fans then felt like they were friends with us and we were like part of the family. He's super nice, but we just met him that one time. Yeah. But I think the conception was they're in the group, they're in the crew. Let's be fans of them too. Just kind of an interesting lesson in that. we have the most friends I've ever had reach out after that video. Like not when our song went number one here, when we had a big song, it was people that I went to school in fifth grade with. I just saw you in the David Darby video, congrats. (laughs) Okay, thanks. That's super interesting. Yeah. So if a band, like if you guys didn't like touring, it would be kind of a, like that's that's a hard thing to do, right? Then financially it would be really tough because even the merchandise, which is the second biggest category, we sell almost all our merchandise while on the road touring. It's like the digital business is is minimal. Um, so by <laughs> by taking touring out of the equation, you also take merchandise out of the equation. I was watching one of your tour vlogs, and in it, uh, there's a couple things. There's a VIP dodgeball game, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And then you give a masterclass yeah. to fans about how you make your music. Yeah. I want to know first, like, is there a formula for touring that you guys have figured out that is a little bit different than other bands? No, definitely not a formula. We literally thought in the simplest way that dodgeball with fans would be fun <laughs> for both us and them. Um, I think if I got to play dodgeball with my favorite artists, it'd be the story that I would tell forever. Um, and it's actually literally just fun to do for us. Yeah, like, yeah. And we get our whole crew involved. Uh, so that's number one. The masterclass thing is also, so we play dodgeball with the fans and then Ryan does his masterclass. That is just like kind of a cool alternative or cool kind of opposite to what people just did. They had this fun physical experience. Now they can have what a lot of people seem to like, which is like Ryan himself, you know, getting to answer questions and break down what's happening. Those two things entirely just come from us and a fun experience we want to give to the fans. But I would recommend that to other artists come up with something super cool and personal to do for VIP because it has worked so well for us. It's like, it's just offered an amazing connection we could have with some of our biggest fans. The amount of, um, storytelling of the song that's a part of your guys' brand, I find to be so interesting. Like it's so important, so much so that you will storytell the making of the song on stage. Sorry, uh, we needed a really catchy chorus, Melody. The co- oh my God. Oh my God. Jack, play that back again. And Chris, the drums. Yeah, so that came probably eight years ago or 10 years ago, and now it's become like a staple of of our thing, of our live show. I saw a video of the Beach Boys, I think it was on Ed Sullivan's show in the 60s, uh, 
doing some version of that. Like Brian is going, uh, so first we started with Dennis on the drums and he's playing a basic beat. Then uh, I came in with the bass. Then uh, And then it's like that long. It's like 20 seconds yeah. and it's Surf and Safari. And I thought that's really magical. Like my feeling of I wonder what song this is going to be as they add more and more instruments. I loved that feeling. I felt like I was a kid again, like guessing the mystery. And so we kind of thought, how about we bring that into the 21st century and add crazy graphics and go into our brains and into a Pro Tools session as we add more and more instruments and throw fans off the scent. Maybe it's going to be weak. No, we're going to slow it down. It sounds more like bang. And then finally explode into the song. We had to do it in such a precise way that wouldn't lose people, right? People are looking yeah. during a concert for every reason to go on their phone, you know? And Whoa. especially when, <laughs> yeah, so oh no, no, 100%. Yeah. If something interesting is not happening on stage, right to the phone. We all do it. It's I just, my hand just goes there. And a person doing it, uh, the artist doing a TED talk for 10 minutes, phone, like yeah. I'm on the phone. So we very carefully put these things together to make sure people need to know what's coming next. There's a way we could definitely fail doing that. Imagine in a place where they don't speak English too. Right. Mm. It's like they design it in a way where it's so visual, but yeah. also auditory. Mm. So at some point, almost what they're saying doesn't even matter if you don't understand, because you can still understand it. Mm. Yeah, I saw a, uh, a clip of Matt Healy from the 1975 talking about something he was in, interested in and have a big visual of Subway Surfer. You know, oh, that, really? yeah. just, just playing. Oh, just to keep, totally unrelated. unrelated. Like, he did it intentionally? Yeah, he was like, I'm just going to put this on so I can talk about this topic I'm into. It's literally that thing on TikTok that I see where people yeah, have a video they, game yeah, underneath yes, the, the yes. podcast. That's so like wild. Like gameplay of a video game so you could keep everyone's attention. Yeah. And I, it was obviously a commentary that? on yeah, know, attention funny. spans. Right, which was, yeah. which well, was What do you think about? Like, do you swipe right by that? Or I'm not going to follow this attention Yeah, I think, you know, look, I'm... I'm 34 years old. I have uh, experience with attention. Uh, you know, like, so I, I am. <laughs> I've, I've kept attention. Yeah, I've yeah. kept attention before. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not an expert at keeping attention, but like I've done it. So I'm familiar. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to like artists that I'm into, I I am very uh, willing and happy to give 100% of my attention. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being at a concert and taking out my phone. Right. That's like mm. very hard for me to imagine. Yeah. Those videos yeah. too with the split screen, I feel like it's just screaming like, it's like cigarettes yeah. to me. Like it's, it's like, like on, on the crack. label. Like this is not good for you. Yeah. yeah. And I just know it. If I'm looking at that, I'm like, yeah, I don't need this. Like, so you swipe by it. Yeah. Or I'm just like, I don't need to even swipe on this app. Like, yeah. I try and- Oh, the app goes away. Yeah, like, I, try you're, and you're like, at, I try and put myself more so in like long form. Right video experience. I think the stories are just better and I'm, I guess we're a little yeah. bit older, so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I imagine though for the, you know, th there's a crowd that, like we grew up with television and pre-internet. So right. like there's just familiarity with other forms of entertainment. I think for this current crowd, there's not. Um, and also when it comes to like touring and being at concerts, one thing that we've noticed is that some artists that have, you know, caught something on, on TikTok, they become known and people go out to their shows. The challenge is everyone's just waiting for that 15 second hook. They sing that hook and then they kind of are just like, what else? What, what is all this other stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw that happen with oh God, Steve, Steve Lacey. Steve Lacey. Yeah. Steve yeah. Lacey. Yeah. Right. Who he, I'm referencing. He, he seemed like he did not like that at all, right? He was he was getting who would like that? Yeah. yeah. Who would like that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, is there any thought to I, I know you guys have said that like the chorus comes easily to you guys typically. Mm -hmm. Um do you do you today, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, on the new album, like, do you guys write a chorus and you're like, that one will probably hit on TikTok? Or is that just oh, not even, TikTok. yeah, or like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, oh, that that kind of has a feel. And, and whether or not that is a, 
a desired outcome. Is there just now naturally that yeah, thought when I, you're in I the writing we, process? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, I, I think we explicitly said before the we started writing the album, let's not do that. Yeah. Because what we're doing already is working, right? So like we, we wrote World's Smallest Violin, we wrote The Good Part, those are doing great on TikTok. Obviously something we're doing naturally from our brains works on TikTok. So I feel like as soon as we start trying to analyze why it's working, we're totally gonna blow it. It's totally gonna go away. I think also we're still evolving and songs that we wrote in 2015 or whatever, we wrote the song Netflix Trip about The Office. And at the time I remember feeling like it was really groundbreaking. Like who would write a song about The Office? And now yeah. I could imagine any TikToker going, I wrote a song about the, like pointing to the, <laughs> right. like, do you want a song about Jim and Pam? It's yeah. just like my love life, here it is. That kind of grosses us out now because there's no three dimension to that. That's, I'm gonna spoon feed to you what the song is about. Now I'm gonna play you the song. So we, I think very particularly said, uh, is that the kind of song that we would see on TikTok? Yeah. Is it too obvious? Right. Okay, <laughs> let's add a new layer. Let's add a new dimension to it to try to be ahead of that. Uh, that was a lot of the difficulty of writing this album. It's yeah. like, wow, everybody kind of caught up to what we were doing like seven years ago or so. How do we then expand a little bit? Interesting. There's there's like a deep honesty and vulnerability in your guys' music that I really enjoy, especially in your lyrics, that I think when we talk to a lot of creators is what has developed the, for some creators who are willing to be that uh, personable and, and that vulnerable, it develops that like deep, parasocial relationship uh, with the audience. A, a creator we had on the show uh, recently was Emma Chamberlain. And mm -hmm. she's, if you're familiar with her vlogs, like she's very deeply vulnerable and, and personal and kind of uh, connected to her fans in a way that we hadn't really seen before because of her vulnerability. Is that something like, do you guys ever think in your writing process or, or as you're sharing, is that like at the forefront of like, this is us or? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, we all are kind of messed up in our brains as humans to try to, to think that we need to present the best version of ourselves to everybody. Sure. I Like when you tripped out there, you oh, just that, naturally like, wait, I okay, didn't trip. Hey, we're gonna cut that. <laughs> cut back, flashback We have final cut on this? We have this? footage. Yeah. <laughs> Your own guy, yeah. <laughs> but like, not that you're doing anything wrong, but like that's kind of human nature to be like, I didn't yeah. trip, what are you yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. But like, what's actually really likable is what you did that you kind of made fun of yourself and you admitted it. And like, uh, I think that that's like a weird thing. It's like when you're going on dates, Actually, the most attractive thing is when someone goes, yeah, I have IBS. And, it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and you're like, oh, I like that person. I want to yeah, be more yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And we kind of realized that, um, that you shouldn't want to present the best version of yourself because what a boring uh, date that would be. And so we kind of got addicted to revealing uh, on the last album, I wrote a song called Joe. And it's a, I literally name checked a guy that I went to high school with. Uh, and it was about how much I admired him and how much I still weirdly think about him. And that was really embarrassing. And yeah. all my friends talk about it. And uh, But there's something about that, that song specifically too. And like, there's something about that though, that pulls us, it pulls the a certain group of people in and probably deters another group of people, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the, the moment in time we're in of, um, there's not as much, monoculture, right? Maybe there's like top 40, I guess. There's like in music, there's, there is maybe more monoculture in music than there is in other media, but it feels like we're in the land of, of incredible subcultures mm. where they're kind of uh, somewhat polarizing. It's like either you're really in or you're completely out. And, and you guys feel like you represent that to me. <laughs> yeah. um, correct me if I'm uh, wrong. You're but, 100% right. But I'm saying that because yeah, it's the, it's the world of uh, the, everyone we sit down with on the show. It's like either they have a diehard 
group of fans or other people are like, I don't get it. Or they've yeah. never heard of them. Right. I think we are the ultimate yeah. example of that. And to the point where people yell online about how much they don't get it and hate us yeah. for it, you know? But then there's the opposite where people are like, how do you not get this? It's exactly how I'm feeling. But that's what makes the yeah. fans stronger. Do you think exactly. it is like, yeah. do you that's think it. it is the accessibility versus like the sensationalism of some artists? Like some artists, it's like, I can't, I don't know what they're about. I can't touch them. Like they are up on this pedestal. We, we do you literally, think it's like, we, said, we say that on stage. We, I, 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 I so don't want people to think just because I'm 12 feet higher than them, it means that I do everything right and I'm perfect. That's, that's just, we've lost what we're all about if fans think that. And I think that's just why we have such a unique fan base. If you go to our show and look at our fans, you're like, okay, yeah, these people are all super nice, have gone through a lot of shit and just want to talk about it and be together. And wow, you like them too. I love you. And it's just, you know exactly where fans are. And that's what- And a lot of people on the internet hate that. So many people, <laughs> people hate that. Just like, yeah, they enough. really do. Yeah. 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 Uh, maybe yeah. that also has to do with the accessibility of what you're saying about letting people in so much with the making ofs and this is how we write a song. Yeah. I think the natural reaction of some insecure people is like, I could have done that. Why are you up there on the stage? And like, sure. then they naturally think, it's so easy to write a song about The Office. I could have done that. And that's where a lot of the hate comes from. It's not. It's easy to write a bad song about The Office. It's really a tight wire act to write a good emotional song that makes yeah. you cry about The Office. And any song we throw out that doesn't make the album is that that's what it is. It's okay, no, this is the concept's cool, but I'm not feeling a single thing. We're just saying words, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah, I think when I think back to myself in, in high school, like I was actually a music and theater kid, but I pushed that away because it wasn't what was widely accepted as cool hmm. um, and played sports because that was what was accepted mm. as cool. Uh, but sorry. if I could, yeah, if I could go back, I would like Were you now- you high school bully? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're apologizing. Yeah. You yeah. Did you? Okay, yeah. that's I, the reveal. I, I appreciate yeah. the apology for, yeah. Yeah. Like, for not you? allowing me to be myself. <laughs> I just yeah. thought it was a funny like- You like give him a nuggie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a Billy Elliot kind of thing. Yeah, he is bullying me about this whole tripping outside thing. It's like- He is Billy Elliot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. YG and get this over with. That's Samir Elliot right there. There he is. Yeah. But like now I'm I'm in improv class and in my 30s, I'm like, wait, I really liked theater and I just didn't do it. And now I want to perform and like ex express that part. And I think I'm drawn to you guys because it feels like if I went to one of your shows, it's like a bunch of those type of people it who is. are like 100% mm -hmm. accepting of the fact that they're like theater kids or like yeah. enjoy summer camp. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, those are things do. I like. Yeah, yeah those are like things yeah. I, I and enjoy. And you know what makes us kind of invis invincible to the hate is seeing all those people. Right, like, yeah. of course. Like, what we did for those people, like if you were transported back right, 20 right. years. Well, I would have beat some kids up. Yeah, yeah no, I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe you would have been okay like being a theater kid. And like, if we get to do that for people, your hate just bounces right off of, we don't care. There's this feel of like, for me as a, as a first generation Indian American kid growing up here, I was like, there's no one that looks like me. Right. So I need to like, look at the archetypes of what's acceptable and cool and just mm. gravitate towards that. Mm. But now with the subcultural movement, it's like, wait, I can actually go on the internet and find people like me. Right, you felt you had like an extra hurdle almost. Like, yeah, that you had to yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And now there is like, oh, you, there, there's like tons of these pockets right. of people like me. And without the criticism or hatred at times, you, it actually doesn't allow for the like tight knit niche tribe to to emerge. I I believe at least on the internet right now. Oh, you think that the hate makes them stronger? Yeah, and bonds I, them. I actually think people enemy. who don't get it makes the people who get it feel more passionate about getting it. Oh, I have this little yeah. secret you don't yeah. understand. Wow. Yeah, I I I'm hope that's the case. I I'm constantly nervous that the people that hate on us and 
write comments underneath positive comments are slowly convincing our fans that, that they're right. I, that's a weird, irrational fear of mine. Because yeah. right I have actually seen a couple comments um, before that are like, oh, I, I, I used to love your music until I saw this. Because we, we get some like long form reviews that like, kind of go through how much people don't like our music and I until I saw this and then I realized they were right. I'm not a fan anymore. I was like, oh no, my fears are coming true. I doubt that's a large group that's of people, but it still is, is, it's an interesting thing. That's the fear yeah. of every creative person. Totally. Of like at some point, someone's going to be like, I figured it out. These guys aren't great. And everyone's going to be like, you're right. You're right. Yeah. These guys shouldn't even be there. They but shouldn't be just, doing what they're the doing. The stakes in my mind are so high, but they're yeah. so low because I low. go through different phases of bands. There's a band I liked in high school that I don't like anymore. Which band? It's as simple as that. <laughs> okay. <Say> us. <laughs> it's us. No, but no, but, but but it's just I'm making it into such a bigger deal in my head than it really is. Yeah. You know? Do you guys in, internalize criticism differently or do you handle it differently? From each other? Yeah. Or from fans, yeah, or, or just um, the Because, I mean, public. I speak from yeah. Samir and I, like, there will be comments, and sometimes it'll hit one of us harder than the other, and... It so depends what they're saying. It yeah. just so depends. So much of the... What's great is, like, the big, you know, big, like, like the, the YouTubers with a little bit more of an audience who don't like our music, it seems like they resort to two things. They use words like garbage and trash, which makes me feel literally nothing. Yeah. That, that's nothing. You gotta give evidence of why. I would respect them so much more if they had evidence. And then when they start to kind of get into it, they're literally critiquing everything we really like about our music. If we are writing an album and we're like, I think it'd be really cool if we suddenly switched the time, had a time change here and went into banjo, they'll go, they switched it and went into banjo. And I'm like, oh, but I, that's what I like about yeah, it. That's okay not really doing, like that. that's not really yeah. affecting me right yeah, now because yeah, I kind of yeah. like it. So yeah. that's when it doesn't really do anything for me. Um, I'm trying to think of a situation that does affect me. Can you think no. of anything? For me, there are yeah. two kind of different ways of thinking about this. One is the fans when I see the comments on social media and I just keep saying in my mind that it's the vocal minority. Mm. Because if you look at the number of people who are engaging in it and actually commenting compared to the total number of people who are engaging broadly and listening, it is such a tiny percentage. So that's one thing on one side of it. The other side is when we were first starting out, we met with a whole bunch of people who said they were in the industry. They weren't really in the industry, but they said they were in the industry. And every single one of them said, your music is too theatrical. Every single one of them. And that kind of lives in my mind in the same place as the vocal minority, because if we had moved away from the theatrical influence, we wouldn't be doing what we are doing right now. And it's the people who, at that point when, you know, I don't know, you were 10 years old or 12 years old and when we were doing those meetings, if if we had listened wow. to them, we wouldn't be doing yeah. any of this and they were so wrong. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I think, um, this has been said before, but social media definitely rewards the biggest reaction possible. <laughs> sure. yeah. And I think a lot yeah. of these YouTubers realize that. And if they have a thumbnail with fire in the background, how much they hate Andrew, it's just going to get more clicks. Shit, that's uh, the yeah. thumbnail for we'll this video. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. <laughs> you guys are <laughs> <this one>. <laughs> Oh, it was what? that kind of interview. Yeah. <laughs> not going to yeah. do as well, but we'll take it out. <laughs> it was a takedown interview. Got it. Yeah. yeah, but you have to realize, like, you almost have to think about what you're saying. Like, that's not even a real person. Like, if you talk to them, they'd probably be like, yeah, I just yeah. for the views. You have to, like, separate I'm, reality I'm from that. I'm curious for you, um, Adam, I've heard you talk about like community building and also the measure of influence from hmm. like a celebrity, like how yeah. you influence their, or how you, how you can understand their, their influence and their ability to impact. And yeah. make, and make actual change. And make actual change. Do you think about that with, with your own band of like, how do you measure your ability to make impact or how do you measure your own depth of connection with your community? 
Are you talking about impact in terms of like advocacy broadly or impact in terms of the fans and what our music means to the fans? And, and I think there's one step ball. prior to advocacy was just like, they even have to be willing to yeah. listen, right? And yeah. like that is in this, in today's world, like if you say, hey, we're playing a show and people buy tickets, that's, a, that's an ability to, to impact a yeah. community. And then you, if you have them, there and they have that connection, you can make that next step, but. Definitely, yeah. and one of the approaches that we've taken over the last 12 years or so is really focusing on our biggest fans and making sure that everything we're doing uh, gives them what they need in order to take that out into the world and then share it with other people. They're like evangelizers, you know? Interesting. And one of the ways we do that has been through Instagram. Like in particular, Instagram has been that place where we're always gonna put stuff out for the biggest fans. We're never gonna share, we're doing all of these radio things, check out all this stuff. It's not like the promo-y piece of it. It's how can we do the things that they care about, continue to give them the tools and then allow them to become our you know, soldiers out in the field that are then trying to convert other people. Because I think that's the real way to build a community is if you empower all of these other fans to build the community for themselves. When we first started, we were a secret for a lot of people. And Ryan was mentioning this before. People like having a secret than that they can tell just a couple people about. So if we empower those fans with that secret, with the new content that we're just sharing with our text list or the way we did, uh, we released um, a song by giving them just the sheet music. So they needed to figure it out yeah. for themselves. We've done the same thing. One of my favorite ones was we did a jigsaw puzzle for our last album where we sent out pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. Some went out on Twitter, some went on our text list, some went out via email. And we kind of made the fans all work together in order to build the jigsaw puzzle, which was the album art their album art. They made the album art and were able to reveal it to the world instead of us. Great point. I think so. you also can't underestimate uh, the value of time. You were saying that you've done yeah. this for 12 years. You can't fast forward that kind of thing. Like It's really true. The sooner you come, the sooner you go. And I think the fact that we never blew up we were always something to be found hmm. very slowly. Just gives people so much more investment and in, I want to see where this band goes. I'm sure you guys resonate with this too, but like, I don't even think we could sit in this seat and have these conversations had we not been a secret for our fans for a long period of time. Hmm. Had we been kind of like failing in public, getting small wins here and there, you know, like we couldn't even sit and do this had we not had 10 years of that. Right. You know? You think fans have more investment because they watched, oh, that I video think, flopped this. Yeah, I think fans, there are a certain group of our audience who have more investment because of that. And even just from a skill set and comfort in the seat, ability to even sort of like talk about what we've done creatively. Yeah. We needed that. I still have the ticket stubs from almost every concert I went to growing up from when I was like 13 to, you know, 18. Um, and I always thought about that as we were growing our brand of like, that mattered to me a lot. You know, that I was, that I could reference and be like, I was there when there was no one else in that room, right? Mm. Like that, I feel like in music uh, and as a fan of, of music, that mattered to me a lot. And I, I think that's like a similar experience of like that secret and the, the, the ownership over the, the momentum, right? Of like, wait, no, but I was there when they were playing small venues. It's, it's easier know? said than done because we had to fight against everybody on our team. No, sure. guys, we have a business plan that's gonna take 12 years <laughs> where we're gonna lose money. No one wants to sign up for that. But it just pays off so much more. I think if you reach the 
six or seven year mark, that's someone's teenage years. That's now an era of their life that forever you will be the music of their teens. Uh, and they'll never forget that. Yeah. But it's also, I think particularly with us, we've just kept so many fans because we are, we're growing with our fans, but also writing exactly about what we're going through, which also happens to be exactly what the fans are going through at age 14 versus right. 17. It's like, they've kind of trusted us as like, okay, their next album is going to be exactly what I've gone through at 25. They're probably going to nail that, which is kind of like what we try to do, mm -hmm. which I think is why we've retained fans in the mean greed. They'll be like, you know, I've been following you for 12 years since you're putting out your covers. And we just yeah. see that so often because they can rely on us to just sort of like be there with them growing up. Our goal is longevity. Like yeah. that really is our goal. And we've seen now fans who came to shows years ago, met each other online, came to shows together, didn't know each other before, got married and now have kids and are starting to bring their wow. kids to the show. That's crazy. I, I love your perspective on community building. Like I think that we're in an era right now where there's a lot of artists and creators who can, um, where the, the understanding of validation or success is based on uh, like a quantifiable metric, whether mm. that's viewership or, or streams or, mm. you know, and like that feels like success when they actually, it would be a struggle for them to fill a room with people because they actually don't have a, a, a community, right? It's like, I know how to make something that will be rewarded by the platform, but actually I don't have a connection to these people. And yeah. it can be misinterpreted as a connection with millions of people when it's actually just an ability to capture attention in a very specific way. Um, and I love the discovery, like the, the ability for the, the, the most passionate fans to discover. Because I think as creators, we oftentimes think about the audience we don't have mm. more than we think about the audience we do have, right? There's like a disappointment sometimes as a YouTube creator where you're like, it's got half a million views, sucks. And you're like, wait, but if we reframe that and go, there's 500,000 people that just watched that, you know, that's You're like- just totally right, yeah. But it's just the <clears> danger <throat> of, uh, just the, the music industry, the YouTube yeah. industry, everything has just been made into so much more of a competitive thing, yeah, I think, as time has gone on. Mm. I don't think- even when we were kind of coming up through the, the radio world, things were this competitive. But when you're all so close together and literally see I see a other's. number here, yeah. then I see the next number, then yeah. I see the number. Mm -hmm. I'm just, my brain it's is like just wired. It's like you can see everyone, like the scoreboard. Yeah. Like at right all times. Next to each other. Yeah. I don't, with radio, I didn't know how many spins, sure. uh, yeah. you know, Megan Trainor's song was up versus our song. And yeah. I got to catch up. We were all just on our own path and we got to hang out at shows together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. now I know exactly how much more popular the next person is. And you think everybody's me. looking to, oh, that was a flop of a post. Like you, that because, people pleasing thing gets activated because a lot of them do. A yeah. lot of a lot of these these fans like kind of make it their mission to be the social media patrol, and you know that one didn't do as well as this one, which didn't do as this, which is not that's not what a fan is. Yeah. You know, just enjoy. You know? So here's a good example of this. On Instagram, we have around eight hundred thousand followers. Every single time I talk to somebody in the brand space or labels or whatever, you need to get your Instagram number up. You need to get your Instagram number up. We have the probably the highest percentage of people who follow us on Instagram who come up out to shows of I think any artist. Hmm. Maybe Vampire Weekend. Beats maybe us. Vam maybe Vampire Weekend <laughs> maybe beats us, yeah. but not counting you know artists that have developed fan bases like before, a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, pre-social pre media. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. I think approximately half of the people who follow us on Instagram are going to come out to this next tour. That's an insane percentage. But all the brands are saying, oh, we can't get you big deals because, you know, you don't have enough followers. But they just don't understand that we have followers that are so much more engaged, even though it's an overall smaller number. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So outside of fans, does music industry validation matter? 
in what other, in what other way? artists, people in yeah. the industry. It used to matter to us more. Yeah. Honestly, this is getting a, a little bit dark, but in the last year, our dad uh, passed away. He got sick and passed away. And just like, it was incredibly sad, but also like you just reevaluate everything. Just like you're looking at him, like, you know what he didn't talk about on his deathbed? Social media likes. And <laughs> even his career, like he was an architect, didn't talk about that at all. He talked about the vacations we took and the, all his childhood friends that were there. And it just, in an instant, you're like, I don't care how this post did. I care about the legacy we are leaving in the world, which is our music and our weird POV that's going to last way longer than us. Um, and uh, I think just the death of uh, creativity is comparing yourself to other people. I think just every time we looked at, oh, but the you know this artist uh, is is going in this direction. Either you're you want to copy him or you want to stay away. Immediately you're not doing what your heart wants to do. So I think with this album, we really I don't think we really listened to pop music at all. We listened to like. Broadway music and 70s music and old country and just got inspired in just a weird random place. Yeah. yeah, a reminder of like what really matters most is are you enjoying what you're doing with the people that you're mm -hmm. doing it with? Yes. Like as number one. Number two, are you like proud, hopefully, of what you're putting out there? Totally. totally. And every time we go on tour, we kind of look at each other after, after the first show and just we're like, like that's why we do this. Okay, yeah. wait a second. We just needed like a year to reset and go, okay, yeah. there it is. Yeah. There's an incredibly sweet video that you guys uh, tweeted of your dad watching you guys play. Mm -hmm. And I fully teared up yeah. watching it last night. Like it's, it's to me, it felt like that's, even for me as a as a creative in, in the past 12 years, those are the moments that that mattered to me so much. You know, like that's where um, the, the the validation and just like the internal feeling comes from is is in those small moments, so. It's, I, that, thank you. It, it, the, it's it's really sad to say that most of the validation was from him. Actually, that that we yeah. that we wanted so badly. We used to say the best moment of like our life is when we wouldn't tell our dad anything about the tour, about like the show. We would keep it all a surprise. Like he would want to know the effects. And we'd be like, no, no, just come see it for the first time. And then he would come, and then he would always we'd see him back at like the sound booth. We could always see him, and then at the very end when we bow, he would always like he did in the video. Yeah. I think yeah. he would always go like this, <laughs> and we always said to each other. That is the best moment of our year. Like, okay, we just had it. That's the best moment ever. Now we feel just so incredibly loved and validated and we're so proud of ourselves. And um, so so that's that's the role that he played. He played the ultimate validation for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. How do you guys separate the two? Because it feels like your whole job is to get a lot of views, right? Like we have the music, which is just kind of a little bit more um, qualitative. And you're, unless I'm wrong, unless you, you kind of are think, able to separate uh, the two. I think, you know, that it, it was something that I was trying to sort out in, in the past couple of years. And we sat down earlier this year with um, uh, Tim Ferriss. Do you know Tim Ferriss? Yeah. Podcaster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said something to me that has changed my entire perspective. He said, you have to separate the two rewards. The first reward is this, the conversation. Mm. And when that reward is done, like when you guys get up and leave, that is complete. We had an amazing time. Hopefully you guys had a great time. Yeah, it's been okay. But time. like, <laughs> we'll find out if it's a We win. have a good yeah. time. When are we gonna start? We get, <laughs> we get to have this experience of a conversation. That's done. That is decoupled from the performance and the other reward, right? Mm. Which could be the financial reward, the, the exposure, whatever other rewards are tied to this are separate from the presence of this moment. And that has been something that is really, you know, that framework has really supported me in, in recognizing like the thing I love doing is sitting down and having conversations with uh, creative people that I respect. 
if we weren't recording this, this would still be a reward for me. This would be unbelievable right. to sit down mm, with you guys and totally. have this exact yeah, conversation. Yeah. So th that is that is uh, not connected to how many views this gets or how other people interpret this. Right. I get to sit in this seat and have the conversation with you guys. That is the reward. Mm. Uh, so it's amazing. Yeah. 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 So I'm also extremely grateful that we started 12 years ago and, and did not even know what it meant to be a YouTube creator or even right. the word mm. creator. Right. Like we started because of a love for video making. Yep. So that's like where our friendship started. That's where our collaboration started. And so it's, I think it's probably uniquely easy for us to root it in that because we didn't start three years ago with this idea of, oh, this is a business. Oh, we this can is, make a lot of money. This is metrics. This. Yeah, that wasn't the, totally. you know. Yeah, it yeah. Took, I mean, we didn't make any money for years. And so if you if you go through the time, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys can connect to this, where you don't make money, but you still wake up every day and do the thing, then it's like, that's the thing, yeah. yep. right? Because yeah. you're just like- It was I just, irrational. It's completely it's super irrational. It's completely irrational. You do the thing for six years with no funding financial it, reward. Funding it in totally strange ways. Yeah. yeah. I, I truly think that that's kind of the only way to make it though. I think fans Agreed. are so smart that they can easily see who actually likes what they're doing and who's just for trying sure. to do it to get famous. And so many more people these days, I'm like kids out of high school are just like, I would like to get famous, whatever it takes on TikTok. Those kids are not going to be, unless they- find something they like, they're not going to be around next year, even in six months. You guys are obviously going to stick around for because you have for so long because you genuinely love it. People can yeah. so clearly see that. That's the only way to do this, right? Yeah. Adam, you said the, the goal is longevity. Mm. I'm curious. With that being the goal, where are you right now in uh, the spectrum of confidence that this is? Wow. Because I remember for us, there was like a tipping point of, oh, I think we could do this for the mm. next- What was it? Five years, 10 when years. When did you know? It was- moving into this space and having stability in the type of format that we make, enjoyment in it, and people around us that we enjoyed. Plus, obviously, like there's a business element to it. So it was looking at those two and being like, oh, okay, I, I think I could do this. If I'm granted the opportunity, which I am being granted, I could do this for the next 10 years, 15. Who's not the best feeling in the awesome. world, having that like, stability? It's crazy. It's like yeah. a weight sort of. It's actually a confusing yeah. moment though, because you're fueled by the 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 fear, like that is actually what, uh, there's a, there was an element of fear that drove me for most of the decade that it wasn't gonna happen. Totally. And that's mm. actually like the scarcity drives you. And when you arrive at the moment of like abundance, when you're like, wait, I think things are actually pretty chill right now and this is yeah. working. Way scarier yeah. It actually was a really confusing time for me. I could oh. totally, yeah. totally relate. Yeah, I yeah. was like, well, how, what, what, I'm not like sprinting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Away from something. Yeah. 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 When, whenever, I, I truly, totally relate. Whenever I get on stage, even still, uh, it's less now, but it used to be, I was so convinced that no matter how many people were there, they were all there to make fun of us. Right. And they were all there to go. I truly, literally, they, although they were cheering, I saw their arms crossed, like in my weird mind. And my mind went to, I got to freaking go way over and above and put on the single most energetic show ever so I can win over each individual person. Or even though they already bought the ticket with our name on it, I couldn't, could not see, think that they all, all were there to make fun of us. So that's kind of, it's the exact same thing. It's like that fear of losing everyone there the is what makes you do better. Really yeah. 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 Well, that also might be because you were pretty young and there was, from what we read, there was a 
anti-AJR club at your high school, Ryan? That's right. <laughs> so, it was there might be an element of like, wait, we, they we, did hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, 100%. I can't, just can't imagine if there was like an anti-Colin and Samir club. If there was an anti-Colin and Samir club, I'd probably be like, I don't need yeah, to do I'd be this. Like, this career's not for me. It's that's, real. That's yeah. a rat lunch. There was a teacher involved. Like, there was a chaperone. Crazy. That's crazy. That seems too far, right? It was true. They fronted it as like a history club, but it was the anti-AJR club. History of history of these three brothers. Oh my yeah. God. Um, I know exactly what you're saying about the confusing time of yeah. like once you feel stable. Because I had a conversation with uh, with my fiance about like I think my work ethic is going away. I used to spend mm. all night working mm-hmm. on songs, of nonstop course. producing things totally. year after year, and now it's like now I just do it like twice a week instead. And it was a really great conversation because she told me like you don't have to do that. Like that's okay. Now you're starting to focus on the other stuff in your life. Yeah. You don't have to kill yourself over work anymore. But it and is, that's healthy. The fuel is confusing because also when I was in high school and I was going through a ton of different emotions and primarily heartbreak, I was probably at my most productive and creative yeah. when I experienced heartbreak. And as things stabilized in my life, I, that I had the same thought of like, okay, things are going well. <laughs> yeah. Am I still creative? Right. Do I have that fuel? In I have me nothing anymore? to run away from yeah. anymore. What am I myself? trying to prove now? Yeah. Am I just happy? Sometimes I'm like, do I have a podcast because I don't have ideas anymore to make videos, like documentaries mm, right. or more intricate videos that we used to make? I'm like, is yeah. that why? <laughs> right. Totally. We podcast because we like to talk. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. like to talk. <laughs> we like to but, talk. But a lot. I think <laughs> I, I similarly have like gotten to a place where I'm like, do I not have the same creative fuel right. and yeah. energy because my inputs are different because I am more stable? Yeah. Now and but is that a, is just, that a problem? I, I don't think it is a problem. It's not I think a like doesn't Bill Gates like he came out like regretting working so much mm-hmm. and yeah. wished he spent more time. With yeah. His yeah. That's yeah. the ultimate example Isn't it of funny like here's, that we hear that, but we are just like yeah. We know that. Yeah. But we're still going to work. I'd rather regret so, yeah, it but once you know what? I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll find that when I'm his age. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I think you guys, not you guys, all of us are maybe confusing like, I feel stable with, I freaking made it. I'm all <laughs> sure, good. Sure. Like those are not the same things. Yeah. You're allowed to yeah. feel that. I don't think that it's healthy for anyone to get to, I made it. I'm good. See y'all later. I can do no wrong. And yeah. none of us are ever going to get there because yeah. we have the drive, you know, instinctually in us. So it, it is all right. You know, don't point. be careful not relax. to conflate yeah, yeah, those yeah. two You're things. Totally right. you know? yeah. I think for our career, defining longevity is something that we're going to need to figure out for ourselves. And it's going to be over time because ultimately the goal has always been for us. Can we tour forever? Can we tour at a place where we don't need to put out an album in order for people to get excited to come into the room? Can we end up doing the thing that Fish does, where they put on a crazy, amazing, not the kind of music that Fish does, but the kind of touring that Fish does? Um, And I think that we are probably, like just switching to my math side of my brain, I think we are probably two tours away from the place where we'll be able to tour at the arena or amphitheater level for quite a long time. Including this one that we're about to go on? This one, and then one more, and then we- This is news. Yeah, wow. news. Yeah, breaking exciting. news. Breaking you guys are news. news. Two tours this away. This is confirmed yeah. <laughs> real, okay? Yeah. Like, you just yeah. stake your reputation on it. Right, yeah. yeah. But, like, in my mind, that's enough time for, like, we, what we were talking about before, people to have grown enough with us and also to have experienced all the different kinds of shows that they build in a way that they're going to want to come back to see what the next iteration of the show is 
at a time where we're going to be using not necessarily new songs, but older songs to tell new stories. Cool. And I think for them to feel nostalgic about the music and at the same time have something new, I feel like this next tour plus one more is enough time for us to feel that longevity. Again, it's going to be something that we keep evaluating over time. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe we'll put out a new album like once every two tours instead of every tour, but that feels like from the industry side of my brain, that feels like the right amount of time. Yeah. I feel like, too, you're you're embarking on playing Madison Square Garden and The Forum yeah. here in L.A. And when I think about those two venues, I think about, like, actually the biggest artists in the world. That's, like, all I think of. And but I then, the at that moment, like, that's, how, that's always been our dream, to play Madison Square Garden and The Forum. But then once we play it, what about if we got to City Field, you know, or MetLife Stadium or— like it keeps going in your mind because you're addicted to this idea of growth. And when do you feel satisfied? I think also because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you arrive at some of those destinations, um, it, it also is a level of that like abundance mindset catches up too. And you're like, it, it doesn't feel as impactful or have there been some of those moments that, like was there one specific moment for you guys where you were like, oh shit, we made it? Um. We played Red Rocks Amphitheater, um, and that was, I guess, it's very specific to us because our dad used to literally say, it was his dream to go see a show there, and he would say, if you guys can sell out Red Rocks, you've made it. That, so that, that was okay. his, like, Got he could have said any venue, and then we would have just been like, that's the venue, but it was Red Rocks for him. And two tours ago, we sold it out, and he came, and he was there, and, and that was, we felt yeah. that night that we made that's it. That's cool. There's a lot of footage of us crying that night and hugging. And that's what the tears were about. The tears were like, we made it tears. Um, but you're, to your point that that's a huge thing, I think with everyone, if you you hype something up in your head, you get there and you go, wait, wasn't this supposed to be a parade? Like yeah, it was supposed to be lifted yeah. up on someone's Where's shoulder? Where's my trophy? Or like, yeah, is there something? But it's, it's healthy. <clears throat> and I think well, even what Adam's saying is like, continue to try to get to the next thing is, it has its upsides and downsides. It's, it's yeah, I guess it's only had our at upsides for us so far, right? Yeah. Yeah, I really like the phrase, uh, there's no there there. I heard mm. that, like, it's like, there's nothing on the other side that. where, isn't that great? We should, do that. A, we should put that in a song, but yeah. uh, there's no, exactly what you're saying, big celebration. There's no there there. It's just about, like, recalibrating your brain to, like, you. C it's really healthy to have goals, but you just have to keep remembering, look how far I came from. Young me would have been so proud of me. You just, like, it yeah, helps yeah, to yeah. just, like, say that as a mantra. Mm. Yeah, where there's, does, there's, there's just enjoying it. I look at, like, I saw Bruce Springsteen at MetLife Stadium. Yeah. He doesn't need to do that show or as many shows as he does. Yeah. Like he sold his catalog. He's made a ton of money. Clearly this guy like has to be up there. Yeah. Like right. loves it. He's having the best time. Totally. At his age. And I think yeah, like totally. no matter what size of stadium, it's like you better be enjoying it because like yeah. it's kind of the, I would imagine the experience of a smaller venue or a massive venue. It's still you guys on stage like doing what you do. Yeah. And I think for him, and I'm just guessing, I think for him, it's probably just as much him performing in addition to the capital of seeing the fans enjoy it, mm -hmm. right? Because you could sell your catalog and make hundreds of millions of dollars, but there's something that you can't monetize about seeing people enjoy something. Yep. And if you step away from music or whatever it is that you do, and you don't have that for a while, you miss it. When we go on tour, I miss it so much after spending a year and a half or two years not touring and having that relationship with the fans. So no matter how much money you make off of it, that's never something that you're going to be able to put in a bank account. Yep. What about songwriting for other artists? Does that play into uh, enjoyment, longevity, business? 
Um, Where does that, because you guys have written songs for other artists. Yeah, yeah, we used to a lot more than we do now. It's kind of slowed down a little bit, but where yeah. would you put that? I've never thought about that before. Uh, what was the question? Where do we put it in our amount in, of enjoyment? Enjoyment, uh, longevity in the career, yeah. and also like just the, the revenue of, of the band. You know, it's one of those things that I thought we would enjoy more than we actually do. Mm -hmm. um, I think we get so much enjoyment out of writing um, AJR songs that are really personal. We're also like scoring a Broadway show right now, which gives us so much enjoyment. We could talk about that yep. more later. But the writing for someone else, getting into their shoes, um, also just the rat race of like, write 50 songs and maybe one of them will be cut by Megan Train or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't. I like that we keep bringing yeah, Megan yeah. Trainor. Like, is there, is well, we've Megan Trainor. We've really we've written beef with her before, with but we, we yeah. also are friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess she's a safe name to bring up. Yeah, it just uh, it if if it happens, if our past happened to cross, and oh wow, we have something in the catalog. Let's give it to her. Great. Um, I don't know if it gives us as much enjoyment as other things. Yeah, we don't. There's two things. We we don't love songwriting that much. Actually, kind of like a screenwriter doesn't. I mean, not all of them, but many of them don't like what they do. They like the finished yeah. product, product. It's yeah. after. Writing isn't writing. enjoyable, but having written is enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's yeah. how People we feel. That Second, we have a really um, unique, isolated writing style that no one else really has. And I actually can't even articulate it too well, but it's just the way where our minds are so connected at this point that I kind of, we kind of don't even need to speak before we know that the lyric is wrong. And again, like when we're in a session with someone else and we know, this is so obnoxious, but I'm going to say, but when we know this, the lyric is right or wrong and this is it, but they're like, no, it's not right. We're like, God damn, we just missed out on something really magical yeah, no, that we, we know. Need it though. And again, I, again, no one knows for sure, but there's certain moments where we just, with experience, know that this was the By right the way, choice. That is the like reason creative partnerships last so long. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I, I, the commonality of like the vernacular and even the, the ability to not speak and know is why yeah. a creative partnership works. A hundred percent. So, yeah. yeah. And it took a really long time to kind of build that muscle. But, Cause, it, but cause that's but it like unnecessary now. friction when you're like, that doesn't work. And they're like, it does work. Yeah. And totally. then it's like, right. there's no right or wrong answer. It's just that, that it's not flowing. Yeah. yeah. And, and right. Yeah. No, oh, sorry. Was someone trying to talk? It reminds me a bit of just as we were growing, we would do a lot of video work for other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we would be taking oh. creative choices. But at the end of the day, that person who was paying yeah. us gets to dictate no, cut that part out. And you're like, no, I'm telling you, that's that's the good stuff. Like, yeah. Like that's yeah. It. So maybe it was just kind of a part of us growing. Maybe it was, I, th I actually think it was. I was I was on you know Twitter all day writing, DMing artists and management if we could write songs with them. And I remember it being like a hustling state of mind. Like, yeah, okay, we yeah. have the AJR stuff, it's trying to go. Maybe we could have this other side thing that's go, just trying yeah. to get ourselves into yeah. the industry. Was maybe that it was more because that. you right. were looking for a way into the industry or looking for money? Like, uh, I think we thought we were going to enjoy it. Oh, uh, interesting. It's just okay. one of those yeah. things like, wouldn't it be cool to have written that Jason Derulo number one song? Got yeah, it. it would have been. Yeah. Cost benefit analysis, writing 200 songs that all fail in order to get to that one Jason Derulo, just not worth it for us. Hmm. Can I ask you guys about, this is a bit of a pivot, but what advice do you have for artists and, and creators, I guess more specifically in music, with the rise of uh, AI in, in, in yeah. songwriting? I don't know. We should talk about it, but uh, I'm pretty terrified of it. Uh, I think that it kind of has no place in music. Um, I think that it's AI is going to be really helpful for solving climate change. I think uh, you know security. There's a lot that AI will really do better than humans. Why is it in music? I just I, is it good? Do fans want an AI Drake song? Does Drake want that? If fans like it, yeah. Do they they kind of dictate? Right, like the consumer base right now dictates 
a lot a lot of like where commercial art is going. Yeah. Right? Having a fan of something is different from somebody who will have it passively and listen and have it be in their world. And I think some of the AI stuff is much more background. Like you're never going to get people who are going to be really actually engaged fans of something that AI is creating in the music space. Mm, I hope so. I hope you're right. Yeah. I think that uh, that music and comedy are the two things that I really want AI to stay away from. And I think it will never capture. We have this conversation all the all time. All the time, yeah. Um, the imperfections of humanity. I think that uh, if... You know, there, there's Adele's voice cracks in such a beautiful way in this song. Yeah, a machine can copy that, but it's not a mistake anymore, right? It's now a chosen thing that they've. It's analyzed data to find that voice cracks work. So we're gonna AI is gonna write this song that has voice cracks. That is no longer a human-to-human -human beautiful mistake. And that's what makes music so great. That's what makes comedy so funny. It's John Mulaney cracking up at his own joke, or it's uh, him. crowd work. Or, crowd work. It's like, like nothing that I think AI could ever, ChatGPT could ever write out. Write a monologue in the style of John Mulaney. Like, yeah, it's gonna use stuff that he's written before, but it's not gonna make you laugh. And I think eliciting a human reaction, an emotional reaction from a song, is the equivalent of that. And yeah. I'm a little scared by it. Um, in the beginning of writing this album, actually, we were going to use some AI tools. This was 20 way before it was mm -hmm. a thing. Yeah, you know, 2021 when thing. we thought we were like on the cusp of oh, what about if all the backing vocals were made with AI? And it's like we yeah. that was like the tagline of the album. And then it got really scary. And then all these now there's like AJR AI songs of yeah. us doing covers of Hey There Delilah or whatever. Um, and so we ditched that and we decided like eh, if anybody can do it, we're not going to do it. I also just think there's this like un like you uh, uh, you you what, what am I trying to say? There's this like DNA that it, within a song that no one can analyze that is why is this violin with this note and me saying this word together a hit right like you just and 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 it's constantly changing. It's changing monthly. and I don't think I think AI can maybe use examples that month, but they they will never be able to predict the next thing. like, Hosier, right? When he came out with Take Me, Take Me to Church, mm -hmm. that's a Take, take Me to Church. church. Okay. It was the only thing that sounded like that on the radio, and that was the new thing. AI can never do that. They, they're not gonna be able to predict what's next. Or like somebody I used to know. Yeah. Right, exactly. Why was that, why was that, why was that a hit? Why was that a number one hit? Yeah. And that this is just like, I, I just think as, as hard as scientists dig yeah. into this, they just can't figure it out, and that's what's so cool. I think though, there's an element of, yeah, AI won't be able to make a hit, but what it seems like platforms want is AI as consumer creation tool. Like you were saying, of sure. like, sound like Drake. I may not even be a musician, but like yeah. the same way that I can dance to a 15 second portion of your song. Yeah. Oh, maybe I could just also speak like you. That or, to me is fine. That to me is a fun game and a tool. That's not art, right? Yeah, that's yeah. like, we I'm, all I'm got curious. EQ. Now we all can sound like Drake, but like that's different than what's Drake's point of view now that he's had a kid and he's rich, but he's still sad. Like that's Drake. Not his voice. Totally. But Rich do you, and sad is But do you, right? guys, yeah. do you guys have an openness? Like if platforms are actually like, hey, we want to let everyone sound like you uh, with a tool. Yeah. To me, that's a little benign. That's like where the world is headed. That's where it's headed. Yeah. It's not the most ideal thing, but whatever. Because YouTube probably is happen. rolling that. YouTube's Maybe. rolling that. Really? Out. Or they're working on it. There was a headline, the headline about, was about letting users, I would imagine, of like shorts sound like Drake. <clears throat> if... AI is writing a lot of these songs, and it can write songs that sound like Drake. What does that say about Drake? I don't want to, like, you know, bash him, but, like, that kind of tells me that Drake has sounded similar for the last 
decade sure. or so. Um, and I think that maybe we're about to see a rise of creativity if now the new baseline is if AI can make your song, it's not creative anymore. Maybe we're going to see a lot of artists that are like, I'm going to go above and beyond to do three tempo changes in my song, combine these weird instruments, talk about this to stay ahead of AI. And maybe we'll see an amazing surgence of creativity like we saw in the 60s. I also think it values the live show. Like, mm-hmm. the, the live show will become increasingly more valuable. Definitely. Because it's the collective human experience, and it's the, like, you guys do it. You know, like, do the thing yeah. that I'm here to watch you do, yeah. which only you can do. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I totally. went to go see John Mayer play his acoustic show recently. And I went to this concert, and I was, like, standing here, like, going to the forum, doing the parking thing. Like, it's it, it can be a hassle. You walk in, John Mayer is playing his song, and he's not playing it in the way that if you just listen to it on Spotify. So it's like, this is the least efficient way to listen to John Mayer. <laughs> but that's why I like it. Yeah, you totally, know? Totally, <laughs> totally. That's what I want. I think I want him to play it different than how he plays it yeah. totally. on the record. You want those yeah. little imperfections. I think also like, what is it saying? This is an open question, but like the fact that we have AI right now in a capitalist world in 2023, it means AI is gonna do the values that are important to us. It's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's efficiency and convenience. Mm-hmm. What if AI existed in the year zero, in biblical times? What were, like, let's say their values were more like Christian values and yep. respecting your brothers, and it was less about how much money can you make. What would AI have looked like? Like, what values in human nature would they have really put mm. up top to have AI work towards? Just a question. But, like, it's really no idea. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a question for everyone listening and yeah. watching. Yeah. 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 <laughs> put that in the comments. Yeah, put your answer yeah. to that one. <laughs> I, think that, I think you're right. It is, it's convenience. It's how fast can I make a song instead right. of how well can I make this song. I think there's a, like opposite side technology that kind of furthers your point and that the fact that the growth of the metaverse is happening at the same time as AI is growing allows for people to actually be themselves or another mm. version of themselves in a live-ish space that can reach more people. Um, so I think that as we get better and better at building out whatever the metaverse ends up being, and yeah, to a lot of people, it's a joke right now and it's not like anything real, but if we can create those kind of more real experiences like you had with John Mayer in a live performance, sure. that's the kind of like opposite side of the digital version of how can we grow imperfection mm-hmm. in the digital space. So uh, you guys are interesting to us uh, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is also your connection to YouTube and your commitment to, to storytelling. Um, I did want to bring up like, you know, you have Austin here uh, on the camera uh, who's filming right now. He's, your guys, <laughs> He's always uh, filming. <laughs> yeah. He's always filming. And that's like, that's something that's um, really special about what you guys do. You storytell a lot, whether it's, you know, in a style like this or you're looking at the camera and showing us the hundreds of layers of your logic yeah. project. Um, how do you recommend to other artists to find a creative collaborator like like Austin? Uh, because there's a lot of trust in that. And there's a lot of, again, that like unspoken creative vernacular that you kind of have to have because he's presenting you to the world. I, I imagine there's yeah. people in our audience who, that would be the dream job. Yeah, no, 100%. We've worked <clears throat> with other uh, photographers and videographers that were super cool. They did a good job, but we didn't keep in touch just because we didn't share the vision, yeah. I guess. It's friendship mm-hmm. meets vision, right? right. It's like, we're, we're great friends. We're so comfortable with him being there for our absolute worst moments, which he has been. Yeah. And he has footage of all the worst moments that have ever happened to us. And when we pitch him an idea, he's going to go, 
oh, that's so sick. And we could also do this and blah, blah, blah. It's just finding the person that will build you up instead of tear you down, Yeah, I guess. that's what he, we realized he was really good at. I think a lot of artists' tour docs turn into commercials for the tour. Yeah. Um, and as soon as we showed Jack breaking his ankle and, you know, feeling sick on stage or some background stuff, uh, it didn't feel like a commercial. It felt like art. Uh, and that's that has been his vision all along of let's show you guys as real people. Yeah, it feels like uh, when I watch your tour doc and then all of a sudden it cuts back to 2020, there's a point where you're talking to people like in the crew, mm-hmm. yeah. and it cuts back to 2020 or 2019. Yeah, right? yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's a clip of you doing a same similar type of thing in right. 2020, and then in 2021, yeah. and then in 2022. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be the best band doc of all time <laughs> at some point. Yeah, I don't know when yeah, it's coming, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but these guys have. Thank the you. I, we're also just such film fans. We, yeah. we we write and we we just like mess around. We've always been huge film people, making home videos. Um, and uh, we try to make each of them as filmy as possible. We do like we had one with like a Birdman homage in the beginning of it. We have like weird uh like Coen Brothersy style soundtracks in the background. I think you just mess around and get yeah. excited about film too. There's an honesty to it, like your guys' most recent music video. You know, right. there's an honesty mm-hmm. to like, hey, we didn't really like. What it was. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's you know, this. That's, yeah. And that is 100% true. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, good story, yeah, guys. Yeah, that's yeah. not, that was true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Is is YouTube any level of like revenue source for you guys? Because like that's a, it's a, it is a good amount of viewership on the channel. I'm looking at you, Adam. Um, you should be. You've, learned, assuming, you've yeah. learned who knows the numbers. Yeah, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. I think it's the blazer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see if I have my number. Yeah. Um, yes, but not. Not a huge amount. If it were to be, it would be if there were brand deals. But no one wants to do brand deals with us because our Instagram is too small. Okay, brands watching right wow. now, they're open for brand deals. We uh, are call Adam. We're yes. going to get the weirdest yeah. clue Weird. of DMs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the strangest brands ever. Yeah. Megan Trainer calls. She's yeah. like, I'll sponsor we'll you guys. Megan. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, what are you guys most excited about with, with the new album, the upcoming tour, just like this, this next chapter for you guys? Um, yeah, it's really just playing arenas. That has just been the number one goal cool. of the band. Uh, it, we're, the fact that we're playing Madison Square Garden and yeah. the Forum. And uh, it's just like, this was the goal. Um, and I think that now we also have the canvas and the budget to create what we've always wanted to create on stage. Um, that was kind of like, when we were playing smaller venues, it was like, let's, uh, what do we have? Like a fabric backdrop that looked like a sample machine. And that was really cool for a 500 person venue. Um, but now we're at the point where, uh, you know, we're playing 20,000 person venues and sometimes two arenas in, in these cities. Um, what is the biggest arena show anybody's ever seen? Like that's like the most ambitious goal ever. So that's our goal. And what do you hope that uh, fans and, and just interested people who come to the show get out of the experience? Um, I think we might have touched on a little earlier, but what we've always said was uh, we, we try to go as personal as possible, and this is by far our most personal album, um, in order to get people to speak up about their own stuff. Yeah. That's the most, at the end of the day, forget everything, the most gratifying moment of our career or my career is when we, we wrote a song called uh, Karma two albums ago, and it's, it was about my experience in therapy. The whole song is kind of like me talking to my therapist. And a girl came up to us and said, hi, not only did I start going to therapy because of that song, I'm actually in school to become a therapist now wow. because of that song, because I want to do for other people what that song did for me. And I was like, I don't remember where we are. Yeah. I don't remember what songs we're playing tonight. That is why that's we it. do this. Um, that's cool. And if that can happen from the next album and the album after that or the show, that's the win. That's it. Like, that's why we do this. Can I ask a, like, what does it feel like to be a rock star type of question? <laughs> um, 
it's it's <laughs> and then, hold on i'm gonna yeah. go further okay oh, not, not just in general in Belgium, like what's yeah. it like but um i was watching the making of week on youtube uh, at a live show and there's mm-hmm. a moment at like 350 when everything comes back in mm. the song finally comes in in full force you start jack's legs are going jack is yeah. just like they do go freaking yeah. out your legs are above your head on both sides it's <laughs> chaos the i didn't think people would see that the whole, <laughs> the whole crowd like the shot of the crowd i can't even imagine what it's like to feel that type of energy at once like what what does that feel like for you guys and is that like is that the vision of what you sort of thought would happen y- yes in a way it we what's so much cooler to us than just like people screaming in general, is that in that particular instance, we just talked for eight minutes about weird musical ideas, about like the nerdiest, least cool thing ever. And then it came together and people are going crazy. Yeah. That's so funny to us that that can elicit, like it's it's the equivalent of like a super hot rocker taking his shirt off. <laughs> we just made the math equation happen. It yeah. equals this song, let's go. Yeah. Maybe it's like, that's why I resonated so, so much with it. It's so like, th- that's, I was gonna say the word rockstar is totally the incorrect word to use. Although that moment is extra special because that doesn't really happen a yeah. lot. And we're able to kind of do this cool new thing, which is like unite nerds and uncool people and allow them to enjoy but i think a rock star internet kids that's what i mean by right. internet kids is like every artist in today's world who has made it by way of the internet there's a level of nerdiness to all of us mm-hmm. right because we had to get obsessed with like computers to edit and to use the internet and i think there is like in listening to the new album like getting to just listen to it i almost like closed my eyes and just wanted to hear the intricacies and and think about the logic project, you know, of like, cool. what was that like sound? Searching that, for yeah. the weird sound. You're like searching <laughs> for how it was yeah. edited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there is, uh, you guys have introduced that in, in a really cool way. Oh, that's cool. Um, when you. I was watching that video, I was picturing myself like at an edit timeline right. with Adobe Premiere yeah. up being like, and watch this cut. <laughs> when is it gonna Boom. cut? Yeah. And then everyone's just like, We wow. do, yeah. like that is our experience <laughs> totally. too. Like when we make a video, we all huddle around a premiere timeline. Like if Jesse did something really cool, we're like, play it again, play it again. We're like, wow, what a great cut. Totally. You know, and yeah. there's like a, uh, it's it's nerdiness, but it's also a dedication to the craft and the enjoyment of the actual craft you just of love making. It. Right. You just love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I think that's also an, a new internet kid thing because like Kurt Cobain or whatever is like, yeah, yeah. Uh, can we totally. curse? I forget. That. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fuck. You guys are. Whoa, 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 Ryan. You. I'm gonna just smoke cigarettes and work on the music, and then the label will take care of everything else. Like, not that he wasn't passionate. Of course he was, but like, it's a whole new level of passion that you need now to make the music, then spend two years marketing the music, figuring yeah, yeah, out yeah. creative ways. Um, I think that uh, that is a good thing that happened with social media. It's like weeded out the boys from the men a little bit. Well, uh, we'd love to come to your show. Uh, like, I'd love to, to to see a show on this tour. and um, I'll send you the link to buy tickets. Yeah, great. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I would love to yeah. buy tickets. No, That's no, like, no, yeah, we're going to put you on I'm the list. I'm happy to buy tickets. Uh, <laughs> but thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. I mean, this is, again, like we said, like the reward is just getting to have these conversations. Totally and, uh, agree. This, yeah. was, this was a really great one for us. So oh, yeah. good. I really yeah. appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, yeah. guys. Yeah.